it was it was a muted seventies experience. There was a party at a porn star's house with mer- topless mermaids, and like humans who are painted in gold acting as tables, and everyone was wearing sequins. And Sly and the Family Stone was singing that song. That was not muted. <laughs> All right, we're recording from Landline Studios East in Watertown, Massachusetts, under the beautiful canopy of some a wild menagerie of bushes and trees at the Brown House, and in the company of the vibrant tomato, cucumber, red pepper plants, and with the delicious tart taste of two ice-cold long trail cranberry ghosts you're listening to the movie annex on landline podcast networks hello anna hello alex it's a pleasure to be here this afternoon um today we're gonna review the niece guys (laughs) it's about two men who move to france and think that they're going to be searching for women but end up being gay and they have a beautiful and cops (laughs) and they have a beautiful relationship and they end up um, adopting a baby from Syria. Is that too soon? Spoiler alert. No, this, this movie is actually called The Nice Guys. And uh, it stars Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. And in typical movie annex fashion, we will likely get to some of the contents of that movie in about 45 minutes after we ramble on about our trip getting to the movies. So uh, I'm going to have old Al here lead us off with um, a little background. So my lovely wife, Anna, came home after 10 days of being away and work and in Europe um, working as a priest at a wedding um, in Copenhagen. And so we thought we'd pod and we wanted to go to a movie. And I emphatically stated that it was my turn to choose, um, which I think is kind of indicative of a lot of things. Um, in life where if you just give one person the authority to pick, to pick what kind of takeout food or, you know, which dog park or what movie to go to, although not everyone gets their opinion, the decision happens faster. And knowing that we only had around 48 beautiful hours together, we didn't want to spend more than 45 minutes arguing about which movie. And I felt like I've gotten the short end of stick on a lot of selections. So the two that we narrowed it down to were Wiener. Um, the Anthony Weiner documentary and the nice guys. And we thought we'd go for the cop comedy with two strapping young men and actors. Um, I guess Russell Crowe's not young. So we found a th- uh, time at the Capitol Theater in downtown Arlington, Massachusetts. And we chose to ride our cycles there as any nice guy would. And, uh, that's when Anna's hour and 45 minute uh, bike maintenance workshop started. We had to get our shit together in terms of our cycles. Um, it's just the nature of the beast where if you let your ride sit in the stable for too long, she'll she'll get a little dust on her. 
Um, Alex had a slow leak in one of his tires and I had cannibalized a tube for one of my other bikes in the bike I was riding today and I apparently had a slow leak in the front. So there were three tubal transferences that went down before uh, we we pumped up them tires and, and got ready to ride. Um, so with just enough time to make it to the movie, we hopped on our rigs and tore up uh, Chapman Street. That's when things got interesting. Well, my back tire was flat after all that. We had gone to the bike store twice. We had bought three tubes. We had figured that one tube, which probably didn't need to be replaced, we should replace and did. And then luckily we still had that tube because my back was that a brand new tube. Anyways, we, we had to change the tube again. So that was an activity. Um, we had some ghosts. Speaking of ghosts, let's just do a couple of minutes on ghosts here. I don't know if you guys know, but ghosts is a beer that is probably originally from Belgium or someplace in Europe, Ger- German. Gosa. Gotcha, Gosa. And it is a sour, tart, delicious, refreshing beer. It's really the champagne of beers. People say that Miller High Life is the champagne of beers. Miller High Life is like the Gilby's gin of beers. And Gosa is like the champagne of beers. Tart, fresh, crisp, delicious. We recommend highly the Sierra Nevada Ultra Vase in a can if you can get it. It looks like a can of cream soda. And if you're in the New England area, definitely check out this Long Trail Cranberry Gosa. I know out west, the there's a company near Napa that's like called the, I don't know, Big Johnson Mountain Brewing Company or something. They have a purple ghost that's like a grapefruit Gosa. So we got, we got some ghosts. I have a little bike bag, and Anna, on the way on all these errands, went to the um, Ocean State Job Lots and for $2 got a frozen pack that has like can rings in it. So it's basically one of those cooler packs you would send your kid or your construction worker husband off to the job site with, but it's shaped so that the cans sit in like a little recessed area. So we loaded that up into my bike bag and we basically had a, a cooler and our plan was to sneak beers in to the theater um, because that's what you do when you've got a podcast and you need to fill it with content. Uh, just to return quickly to the aforementioned Otraves Gosa, um, it's quite simple to drink it in public if, when you crack it open, you say, oh, I love this cream soda. No one suspects a thing. And that's, in fact, what we ended up doing on our final stretch on the Minuteman bike trail uh, as it led us to the Capitol Theater. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, it was not as fraught as it usually is with our directions. Um, I took probably 10 minutes to look at a map and write the directions down to avoid the picadillos of previous outings for the movie Annex. And Alex promptly looked at those directions and said, no, th- these aren't the right ones. And got out his bike map and we plotted our course and arrived with fairly little fanfare but with seven minutes to spare till start time 
Once again, I think the not to tell the same story twice, but we got lost in the bikes again. And I pulled out a bike map that I bought because of my like weird anti cell phone thing. Um, but keep those cell phones in your pocket while you listen to Landline podcasts on your headphones. But I think that really the story behind the story is that if we can get better about letting each other bike in their own crazy ways as a team then we will last as not only a marriage but as a podcast team i'm reminded of the time where alex and i had just started dating and i decided to take him for a a mountain bike ride at phil's trail out in out in bend and mitch bacon was with us and the three of us were were tearing through the single track having a good time and Alex, uh, whether inspired by the cool mountain air or maybe a vortex opening up in the high desert, took off down a path without having asked whether we would follow him. And what proceeded was a couple hours of Mitch and I biking around calling his name uh, on one side of the coin. And on the other side of the coin, Alex looked up 30 minutes later and realized we weren't with him. So he biked all the way back to Bend, downtown Bend, and then all the way back to, no, he got in a car and then he drove back to Phil's trail uh, where, where we were relieved to see him pull up. But uh, when it comes to creating space and supporting one another on bikes, uh, let's just say there are two very different biking personalities at play here. Now, if you're here to listen to us talk about the nice guys, just wait a little bit longer. So one thing you just made me think of, love, is that, um, you know, you have a good friend when his voice pops up in your head commenting on you. And what I mean is my friend Tim, which you can listen to on the Landline podcast, Two Guys, One Cup. Uh, enough plugs. Enough plugs. Um, he would say, don't worry about Alex. He'll be back soon because he'll have to eat again. So it's like usually if I'm lost, I will find a convenience store for some sort of prepackaged ham sandwich at some point within an hour and a half. Anyways, we got to the Capitol Theater. We thought it might be an issue like getting the beers in. So we put all of our crap like cell phones, wallets, cameras, whatever into our bike bag and then put our beers in our pockets and purses thinking that I would show them the bike bag when we walked through and that they would be like, okay, fine. It's not a bomb. It's not a gun. And then we'd go in and then, you know, set our beers up. But I found that interesting. Like I know I don't want to go too much off on like a terrorist thing here, but shouldn't they be looking at bags at this point in time? Or is it a good thing that we live near a community where they don't, maybe it's a good thing that like, because I feel like if we had been in a movie theater in a couple of other states that they would have been checking for a handgun in my bag. And I'm glad that they didn't. And I guess I'm sorry that I'm so dark that I thought they should. Yeah, it turns out downtown Arlington, Mass, on a Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. isn't necessarily like a red flag zone for terrorist acts. Thank God. Thank God, says Alex. Um, so in we went. Um as you know from previous episodes of the movie Annex, we enjoy and, and seek out those independent movie theaters for the rich experiences that they promise. Um, and the Capitol Theater was surprisingly cool and pleasant. We uh, rolled up into a crowd of Finding Dory 
children who were stoked to go see Ellen DeGeneres make a million dollars through the mouth of a Pixar fish. And, uh, you know, cheap popcorn, cheap tickets, $7 before 6 p.m. every day. Big plug. Beautiful, clean facilities. Uh, I believe it was established in the 20s. So it was this cool Art Deco throwback vibe. And uh, as I had discovered before we biked out there, the Nice Guys was showing in, in Theater 5, 205 seats, stadium seating, Dolby Surround, and a screen that was uh, worthy of of an outing. And I like, you know, you just made me remember, it's good when you have an old facility that you're trying to keep up, but that you embrace the fact that some modernization needs to happen. And by modernization, I mean things need to be kept clean. It's like the place wasn't dirty. We're going to go to another theater around here, the West Newton Cinema, soon. And we won't spoil that one because we've been before, but that place is a dump, let's be honest. And this place was not a dump. Um, weirdly, though, they had this thing where they, they had like a bunch of seats on the top and then down below it was divided into two separate sides. It was an interesting floor plan for a theater. But um, yeah, air conditioning worked. Check. As you might have heard from a previous episode, we've been in situations where that wasn't the case. They sold beer. Check. And we and we didn't even need any because we snuck in our own. Um, the popcorn was under five bucks. Check. Also, quick side note. Wait, not a quick side note. It's my podcast. Long side note. No human being on earth ever needs anything bigger than a small popcorn. I'm going to put my foot down on this one. The the medium popcorn is just one of those things where it's like, I think it's, I figured it out yesterday. It's because of the weight. People feel as if, people feel as if the weight of the popcorn with a small will not satisfy them. Yet, every time we get a small popcorn, the two of us can't even really finish it. You've obviously never been to a movie with Dr. Lucy, my father. Uh, happy Father's Day, Dad. I love you. Uh, this is a gentleman who could easily put away... 15 cubic yards of popcorn in one sitting and not bat an eye. Um, It takes all kinds, babe. And while a small might be suitable for us, there are those exceptions to the rule who need something larger and bottomless. Well, corn is just a profit margin cow. So, okay, fine. I mean, I actually now remember the trash bag of kettle corn I bought for your dad at the uh, North Carolina Arboretum when we were watching the light show. And that, that guy can smoke some popcorn. So uh, the movie started after some super mediocre previews. Anna's excited about the newborn movie. I think it looks tired. Um, there was something else weird. Uh, I don't know. There weren't that many previews, which I liked. And we missed all the... Co- Oh, that was Star Wars. Oh, Star Trek. Star Trek. Trek. Okay, so the movie started, and although I am going to have some negative things to say about this movie, certainly more than Anna, I want to start with this little observation. A A movie with 70s music in Hollywood... It's originally, or excuse me, it's a, it's um, immediately like a happiness blanket. It's just, it's like good quality cocaine that's not going to give you a hangover. 
Brawless women who somehow, like, the breasts are actually higher than if they were wearing a bra. Colorful outfits. No consequences of anyone's actions. Drinking, smoking, having unprotected sex. I mean, they make the 70s sound like heaven on earth. Of course, there were a couple of allusions to the gas crisis, Nixon, whatever weird Middle East incursion we were involved in. But don't you feel like the 70s Hollywood movie is about as fun as it gets for our generation think american hustle etc all right here you go yeah so to place you in time uh boogie nights opens in 1977 as does this film so think short shorts roller skates long hair um tight tops etc um but it was clear from the beginning and and from our assumptions that this was going to be sort of a, a buddy cop movie, the Nice Guys. And uh, personally, I am a huge fan of crime in L.A., but the most ripe and rich decades of that are the 40s, 50s, and interestingly enough, into the 60s. So in the 40s and 50s, we've got that James Elroy, like L.A. Confidential, Black Dahlia, um corrupt cops and you know mickey cohen and and all these um the mafia and 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 all these interesting characters at play and they're going to jazz clubs and things of that nature in the 60s we've got the sort of easy rider and the the fucked up vibes that the manson family brought um and think of joan didion slouching towards bethlehem it was a sinister time um, but in the seventies, I feel like we've arrived squarely in like not really taking ourselves very seriously anymore. It's about drugs and porn and nice cars and like Starsky and Hutch type situational comedy. Um, so it was clear that this was not going to be a very serious movie. Uh, but interestingly enough, it did reunite some players from, the famous L.A. Confidential. Was Gosling in L.A. Con- oh, Kim Basinger. Russell Crowe. So, yeah, starts out great. I think Fly in the Family Stone or Curtis Mayfield was the opening track. And they've got all the favorites. And there was some, like, scene at a, a porno director's house where, like, who were those guys? They're playing. Hi-ya, da-na-na, remember. Hi-ya, da-na-na, na-na-na. Everyone's favorite bar mitzvah song. If you're doing it on a boat that surrounds Manhattan. That's it. So those people, I don't know if those were CGI versions of the real people or they had impersonators of that band. I'm sure if Adam Kroll was here, he'd know the name of the band. Is that who it is? Okay. Sly and the Family Stone. I don't know if that's right. Anyways. um, So Sly and the Family Stone. So yeah, it was a 70s movie. So let's start getting into the problems with it because you said it w- you was clear that it was supposed to be funny um, or fun. I think that this movie was sort of a farce in a way because there weren't consequences. Is that what a farce is? All right. Anna's going to look up specifically what a farce is. But there were, there were scenes similar to like if you think of a classic comedy of the last 10 years like The Hangover or Wedding Crashers. There are some situations where things happen and it doesn't really matter if they're realistic. Um, there are certainly situations in this movie where unrealistic things happen. My problem is that there were also situations where it felt as if they were trying to t- portray 
just kind of a um, indulgent view of a real time in Los Angeles history. And let me speak to some specifics. For instance, Russell Crowe, who plays a hard nose kind of like not private detective, but rather like a get back at you guy. People hire him. He's hired muscle. In the beginning, it's clear that he uses brass knuckles as his form of enforcement. And I thought I really liked that because it was like, okay, I can imagine someone going around with brass knuckles, punching someone in the face and like fundamentally changing how the person who got punched makes decisions. By the end of the movie, there were machine guns everywhere. And I really didn't like that because it all of a sudden got brought to like a weird, um, you know, die hard meets James Bond meets like Pineapple Express place where nobody got hit by a machine gun. Death wasn't taken seriously. We were doing a bunch of gunplay as a way to like hop up the action. And no longer was it sort of like a thrifty, trusty, gritty, hand to hand combat situation where no one was going to die. And given a lot of the events of the last two weeks, I actually found a lot of the gun violence to be egregious. I'm serious. And that was something you're shaking your head and I'll let you have the mic here in a second. But that's something I found. (laughs) That's something I found really interesting. A lot of these movies to me, you have a lot of women who are supporting this style of sort of like funny gun comedy because it's cheeky and well written and it's well made and there's handsome guys and it's a fun escape from reality. But why are we letting the gun violence happen? I don't need to be like a gun nut, but do we need that gun violence in a movie like this? Farce, a comic dramatic work using buffoonery and horseplay and typically including crude characterization and ludicrously improbable situations. Synonym slapstick, burlesque, vaudeville, and buffoonery. So I, I define that in response to your gunplay question. Um, there was actually quite a bit of knives not really. Anyway, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that there was gunplay without the results of people getting killed throughout this movie, which is a time-tested Hollywood tradition and one that when looking at it as a farce makes complete sense because it's a way to elevate the action without necessarily having those consequences, for better or for worse. But I wasn't too, like, to me this movie was, like, basically lethal weapon, but with white guys and in the 70s. And and I saw you looking at the director. Did he also direct Lethal Weapon? Yeah, uh, written and directed by our old friend Shane Black, who did write Lethal Weapon, and he also wrote um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, one of your favorite movies, Last Action Hero, which is a great um, end of the season, Arnold Schwarzenegger, by season I mean career, Um, Lethal Weapon 3, he did one of the Iron Man's. Yeah, but let's get into that a little bit. Don't you think, this is kind of of a tangent on what you're saying, but don't you think that the high-definition digital quality of movies of this day and age takes away from that texture of a movie like Lethal Weapon? Because there are so many great 80s, early 90s movies that are sort of like, you know, Beverly Hills Cop 
once you get all of everything to be so bright and colorful and clean and sometimes even like animated or CGI'd, I think it takes away from its humor for me. And so I found a lot of places where other people, the theater had 17 people in it. It was pretty much empty. You were laughing really hard. There are a couple of situations where I laughed hard. But a lot of the times I just didn't think it was funny because it just felt sort of overproduced. I think you're not doing the cinematography justice. Like there was a lot of Super 8 or, or Super 16 spliced in and the colors that they chose, especially for their outfits, like their uniforms were super muted. It was it was a muted 70s experience. What about that? Like there was a party at a porn star's house with mer- topless mermaids and like humans who are painted in gold acting as tables and everyone was wearing sequins and Sly and the Family Stone was singing that song. That was not muted. All right, I feel like we're getting in the weeds here. I want to make a more global comment that this movie was really well written and really well acted, in my opinion. Um, to me, as as the daughter of a voracious consumer of spy novels, which my mom and I lovingly refer to as grappling hook novels, like if the protagonist gets out of the bad situation by shooting a grappling hook out of their belt and suddenly they can get out, you know, it's that kind of thing. But maybe along the lines of Lee Childs and his character, which I'm blanking on Jack Reacher or, um, you know, in a sense, even Sherlock Holmes, it's like you get, you, you learn these characters, you learn their idiosyncrasies and, you look forward to seeing them interact. What this movie did for me from the get-go was to create two excellent characters that I felt had really unique perspectives and that I was excited to see interact in the situations that they found themselves in. And that would be Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. It felt like they were novel characters and that this was the first of several like it was the first of a franchise, but it wasn't like, oh shit, they're gonna make ten of these. It was more like, oh, I like I would love to read the sequel. But Alex is looking like maybe he doesn't agree. See, I just thought they missed the boat on well defining what you're talking about. So it was like Ryan, they were interesting characters, but were they phony characters or were they characters that really existed in life? Like were they comic book style characters or were they characters that? were representative of the time. Like, Ryan Gosling was a down-and-out, drunk, private investigator. He, he did an incredible job. He's great to look at. He was funny. I liked his performance a lot. But he had the situation where his wife has died and his daughter was still around, and we're going to talk about her at length, I'm sure, because she was a huge part of the movie, played by a 13-year-old girl. By the way, babe, I think we should not figure out her name. I think that, like, until you're 18, it should be, like, the kid from Jerry Maguire the kid from The Sixth Sense, the girl from uh, the, the Nice Guys. Well, I, it's interesting you bring that up because I immediately went to look up her name afterwards and then promptly forgot to do so. But her performance was such that it reminded me of a child actress that escaped that sort of, oh, we'll wait till they're 18, which was Scarlett Johansson in The Horse Whisperer, who delivered like an insane tour de force in that Robert Redford movie towards the end of the 90s that really put her on the map. But 
to me this this little lady it, it wasn't quite to that level but she she delivered a great performance too so there'll be a huge upside if that happens. Also, there'll be an upside if she turns into Lindsay Lohan and like her boob pops out in the back of a cab after she did a b- bunch of blow with Wilbur Valderrama, right? We can both look forward to both those outcomes and seeing which one happens. You, you seem nonplussed. <laughs> um, okay, so I just didn't like how... I didn't think that their characters were completely consistent with the reality of the movie. I like did you did you think that they were you did obviously you thought that that was I guess it's just like the Ryan Gosling thing he's so drunk and man how about watching people drink all that brown liquor in movies why is everyone just always drinking warm brown liquor they're in LA in the 70s it's always sunny out and he's always drinking warm scotch neat that seems like the worst possible drink to be drinking it's it's the drink of a sadist for sure so um yes it was comical a masochist it was comical it was um one of those movies (laughs) so okay another little weird part about it um or do we need to finish up this russell crowe ryan gosling thing like i thought russell or i thought Ryan Gosling outacted Russell Crowe. I disagree. Okay. I disagree. I felt like they were on super equal footing. Russell Crowe was in some primo form, major paunch. Like, he looks like a total dog face. He's just like, Russell Crowe knows how to slum it. And when I see him show up in a movie like Inspector, what was that Inspector he played in um, Les Miserables? Whatever. Like... (laughs) It was that quality, just like absurd outfit and body. And to me, Russell Crowe is a pretty incredible physical actor, along with being just one of the top notch actors out there today, which I know many people would roll their eyes. But I can name you 10 Russell Crowe movies where he does a completely incredible job, um, including L.A. Confidential as Bud White. I felt like this was a little bit of a a revision of that role. Um, Master and Commander, The Gladiator, yada, yada, yada. I can go on and on, but I won't. Um, and Ryan Gosling rolling up in in force in the first full time since maybe Drive. I haven't seen him recently. Maybe The Place Beyond the Pines, both of which I wasn't a huge fan of. But this was more his self-assured comedic acting that he had in that that movie where he's like with Steve Carell and he's like trying to teach Steve Carell how to be like a hotter guy. Do you remember that one? Yeah. And you forgot, of course, the big short where he was incredible. I mean, Ryan Gosling is incredible. Um, He's just as good to me as DiCaprio. Um, And I kind of, I like how he, it feels like DiCaprio always has to be a hero of some kind and Go- Gosling is completely willing to have a lot more flaws. Um, okay, so here, here's a specific thing about these two characters. So Russell Crowe starts the movie as somebody who goes around being hired by 14-year-old girls' parents to, like, shake down guys who are romantically linked to them. We don't know how far it goes. But basically, like, perverts who are into underage girls, which was kind of a theme in this movie. It seemed to be, like, a 70s thing, like... Everyone's towing the line between 
what's okay and what's not in L.A., the sort of lawless party society. And so he goes around with a pair of brass knuckles and will punch guys in the face and be like, stop seeing Amber, and that'll be the end of it. We completely lose that part of his character as he teams up with Gosling. Okay, you disagree. Hold on, though. And then Gosling is this, like, a uh, hapless private detective who's basically just conning people out of their money for as long as he can without really doing anything. And then they kind of try to, in the latter part of the movie, show that he does have skill sets, that they're just random. But those skill sets actually don't pan out in a way that advances them to their goal. And so I just feel strongly that like, the two defining parts of these two characters do not last throughout the movie. They're just ways of introducing them, and then they end up forming a team that has nothing to do with their first two individual aspects. And that's how the movie goes. See, I think you're missing the mark on Russell Crowe's character. He wasn't he wasn't a guy who used brass knuckles and that was like what he was. He was a gentleman hitman and he had values. He's like, I was raised Irish in the Bronx, but moved out to L.A. the same reason everyone does, yada, yada, yada. But he did things like the letter of the unspoken law of being a hitman or a um, um, hired muscle was what was most important to him. Um, there is a scene where somebody, you know, came into his house and trashed his house and trashed him. But beyond that, the dude started like picking his fish out of his aquarium and like tossing them into into the the shag carpet to watch them die. And Russell Crowe's character is like, you know what? Like, I understand it. You you were hired too. You had to come here and do this, but. Ultimately, you've now you've crossed the line. You didn't have to do that. And it was that sense of proprietary or not proprietary propriety that that propels his character. He doesn't drink. He does. He, you know, he takes his job seriously. And when put in juxtaposition to Ryan Gosling's character, which was a little more loosey goosey, a little more like nothing to lose, a little more like funny man. That was that was the interesting dynamic. Well, we just have to disagree on this because I felt like his character was all over the place. He ended up killing someone ruthlessly at one point in the movie. Yeah, but still, it doesn't matter. It's like he didn't he he didn't have the same character. Like his character wasn't consistent. Also, he ended up using guns. The brass knuckles went went away, and like. It turned out in a flashback scene that he had killed someone brutally who had, like, held up a diner because he had, like, this killer instinct. And then at the very last scene of the movie, he's getting shit-faced and he's throwing the drinking thing out the window. And I don't know. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, there are movies that are comedies. There are movies, like, um, that are capers or, like, like, sort of, like, Silver Linings Playbook, a movie that is not a comedy but has some incredibly funny parts this movie felt like it didn't know whether it was supposed to be like a cop action movie or just fundamentally be a be a movie i mean sorry be a comedy and so then it had like a weird mix but i'm not mad we went i mean um and there are like let's talk about some of the funniest parts um there are some like really physical comedy parts that were pretty funny like there's a couple of hilarious car crashes um there's two at least there's a couple of hilarious um like destruction of homes type scenarios 
Uh, there's some pretty funny back and forth between the two actors that's good. Um, I just I didn't know like what was the takeaway? What was what, what were we taking away from watching that movie? It's interesting that we have not touched at all on the plot of the movie, and perhaps we won't just for the fun of it. The takeaway is strap on your shag carpet merkin boys and girls because we're entering a new franchise and it's called the nice guys and it's got these two wild and crazy guys they're gonna be your guys for the next 10 years and they're gonna do funny things around la in the late 70s um ultimately there was uh, at its heart a um a political intrigue uh that that was involved with the car industry as well as the porn industry and there were some corrupt officials pretty high up and it was about uncovering that corruption um but you know it was it was a little bit mailed in but uh i think the takeaway is get ready because the nice guys too is coming to a theater near you november 2018 so kim basinger she plays the head of the justice department what is her? I mean, a woman as a head of a justice department. That is just ridiculous. So what what has been going on with her? She was the one of the foremost beautiful women in Hollywood between 1988 and 1994. Her and Alec Baldwin hooked up. I mean, like literally, like for a while they married. Right. They've got a kid or two. So, who's now on Instagram. So, um, what happened? Did she get a bad facelift? Um, was she a bad actress? Did they push her out because she was old? Is she a good actress? Because um, she wasn't good in this. And I guess, why did they cast her? Was it like a handout? Or did she beat the other like ladies with a bad face job or what? Can you explain this? I didn't think she was terrible. I thought her part was super, super, like, thin. She has 1.5 scenes in the movie, although she plays, like, her role in the overall corruption is huge. She's she's in, this, in the movie for maybe, she's on screen for seven minutes in this movie, but compare that to the acting that Carrie Fisher did in the latest Star Wars. And it's like, look, she might have had a lot of work done, but she's still expressive. Like, she's still got face. She can still, like, tell a story with her eyes. I thought she did fine. She did fine. It's not easy being, like, the hot woman who's now 65 and, like, looking to make it in Hollywood. Um, there are people like Helen Miram and... Holly Hunter and like these older women and even increasingly the Australian lady whose name I'm blanking on used to be married to Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, who are first and foremost killer actors, but in their day they were like total foxes. And if we could see the numbers on the shitty dude actors that are still getting great roles because there's so many roles written for older like white men and not acting them well compared to the female roles that are being written and 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 who's able to fill those I think you would see that there isn't much of a gradient between absolutely killer female 
actors who are older and like those that are not so hot but that have made it into a movie it's like that juxtaposition between good acting and mediocre acting is much more stark in women of a certain age than for men yeah she didn't do bad you're right i i i do think we need to come up with a top five face job list like Carrie Fisher. I mean, now we've got two. We just need to come up with three more. Not right now, but we will for next podcast. Renee, did she get a Renee Zellweger got a face job? Okay, so Carrie Fisher was awful in that Star Wars. They should have just CGI'd her in the whole thing. Um, she did fine. It, she was fine. I feel like what do you do when you're a blonde your whole life and you um, have the a haircut your whole life? Do what other options do you have? Are there other options besides having the say? She could have gone short, I guess. But like, what do you do? I mean, what I feel bad for her is my point. Uh-huh. I feel like look at older men can grow into a ponytail. They can shave their head. They go completely white, like Ted Danza Danson. Uh, they is there a Ted Danza too? What do you think he's doing with his hair? But I just feel bad. Like her hair is bad. I feel like she should. She should do something with it. Well, every genius knows that the mark of a face job, as you so eloquently put it, is a weird hairline because they have to lift up your sad, droopy face and fold it in on itself. And they fold it in on your hairline. And when you see those weird baby hairs and that sort of like disturbing vibe where your forehead meets your hair, that's the sure that's a telltale sign of a face job gone wrong. Well, I I have no I no ill will towards Kim Basinger. Um, so, um, how about the weird dream sequences? There was like a couple of scenes where there's like a, a giant life size like ant, and there was a killer bee at one point. Like, where did? Okay, there was also another giant animal. Um, how did you feel? You didn't, you weren't put out of. See, I felt like they broke the world that they had created a few times, and they were inconsistent to their world. And that's my number one complaint about this movie. And I just wonder if you could speak to. I know you. If I give it a five and a half or a six, you're you're giving it like a, a thirteen and a half because that's how you like to rate rate movies, and you love Ryan Gosling. Can you just? Can you tell me, like, in terms of your like? Um, get out of jail free card. Like if you get if you get a free pass with Men in Hollywood, like is Ryan Gosling top five? I don't think so. Not top five. Top ten, top ten for sure. But right behind him would be. Uh, I don't know. I'm blanking. Sorry. We can delete this exciting pod out. But essentially, I've got my top three. And if I could get any one of those, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. Thi- sure. He's top five. Sure. Anyway, um, you're right. There was an absurd world being created that wasn't honored throughout. And. If you want a Shane Black movie that does honor that absurdity, 
kiss kiss bang bang 100% it's like you're it's a total caper it's a total farce and it was that movie that brought um Robert Downey Jr. back like to the world and I think that Shane Black and whoever wrote this they they're a team that can write really really well for specific actors and that's why it almost worked was because it was such a joy to watch both Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe say these lines and embody these characters. They were they were rich movie characters. I think you're being a little I think your your standards are a little high for this kind of thing. All right, that's fair. I think if I had been in a theater that was full of people laughing, it might have been a little bit better. Um okay, I just want to do top 3 Ryan Gosling movies for me. Um I would say The Big Short the Ides of March and Lars and the Real Girl movie everyone should see. And then if you are looking into the Russell Crowe department, I mean, let's just remember we all know Gladiator. Let's just all make sure that we see um, A Beautiful Mind again next time we're looking on a Sunday afternoon for something to watch. American Gangster. It's a great movie. And who is Denzel in that? Great movie. Uh, Master and Commander is exceptional. Anna and I saw that in an incredible uh, theater with insane sound and like a at a college. Um, obviously Gladiator, obviously L.A. Confidential, Mystery Alaska. We might have to watch that for a video version. Anyways, he's got he's look. I'm not breaking any. I'm not breaking any news here with him. Um, okay, so all in all, I think. That the crowd wants to know who your top three are. Okay, so uh, number one, Tom Hardy. Number two, Michael Fassbender. Number three, you'll have to tune into another movie NX to find out. They call that a tease in the business. Um, Michael Fassbender straight. Oh, right. Oh, right. And she played a man in the last movie? No. Her boyfriend played a woman. Her husband was a woman. Okay, well, you got to keep it straight. On the whole, fun movie. Maybe go to a different showing than a matinee. Pay, pay, no? Well, why can't, why? It didn't come out two months ago. All right, well, if you've seen everything at the theater except this, I'd say go see it. I'd say it's worth seeing in a theater. I'd say it's a good way to escape. Um, I don't know if the beer helped at all. Um, it wasn't like a super... It's weird when you see a drunk on screen crushing warm scotch in the hot L.A. sun. It is weird to open up that second IPA in a can you brought. You feel like a little bit like, am I turning into him? Um, or is this going to be scotch when I open it? I don't know. That's just one of the things I felt. That IPA was pretty scotchy. Um, anyway, I think we're probably going to call it there, you guys, unless there is more you would like to add. Maybe take some calls. All right. What? Let's just, as we lead into the next landline movie annex, can you give us a top three in your queue of movies that you're hoping to see and review? And are there any movies you're hoping to see that you don't want to review? 
even though I did mention Lethal Weapon, like I've seen it, I haven't actually seen it. So maybe Lethal Weapon is up there. Um, I do want to see Wiener, and I don't know. I'm curious to to see the movie annex take on something like the jungle book or some like big, like the born ident, like the born five or whatever. Um, I, I have a soft spot for all movies as you guys are probably starting to understand even the fucking terrible ones, but a uh, special soft spot for, for big fun summer blockbusters if they're good. Um, so I think it'd be cool to see the movie annex take on a summer blockbuster. I agree. I think Independence Day is also coming out, and that's going to be terrible, so we should definitely go see that. No, we don't have to see a terrible one. Okay, we're not going to see a terrible one. Well, we hope you're enjoying your late June. Fourth of July is coming up. Remember that if you want to eat strawberries at any point in 2016, this is your opportunity, unless you want to be part of a global food system that's ruining the atmosphere and ruining local community uh, economies. But, you know, not to end on a heavy note or anything. Um, we've got some hot peppers on the vine here at Brown House. The sunflowers are about a foot and a half tall. Um, even the cucumbers look happy. I think if you're hoping for some more information, you should call the landline, 617-744-1895. Leave a message. We'd love to have you on the pod. We'd love to have your message on the pod. If you've got any tips of insider movies that we might not know about to see at an art house in the neighborhood, let us know. Email us at landlinepodcast at gmail.com. Check out other shows on SoundCloud, on iTunes. Maybe my wife can tell me how Stitcher works before she leaves. And uh, thanks for listening, you guys. I'll let, I'll let Anna take you out. Yeah, just to piggyback on that, if the 20 millions people out there listening to this have features or ideas for the movie annex you would like to see us unpack call and leave us a message maybe we give you a fuck mary kill list of actors in a movie that we went and saw or potentially um we learn of alex's top three movie pass um actresses or actors and so uh yeah let us know what you want to see out there and we'll uh be sure to integrate it which reminds me, there is a Blake Lively joint coming out. Maybe that'll be the next movie we review. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Enjoy your day. Adios.